This is Stephanie Nelson, host of the Pivotal People Podcast. We get to have fun conversations with interesting people doing amazing things. They inspire, entertain, and motivate the rest of us to be pivotal people in our own lives. Well, welcome to our podcast, Ian. It is so great to see you, see you here on Zoom. So great to have you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's a a real pleasure. Thanks. Now, Ian Morgan Cron has agreed to be on our podcast today. I'm so excited. Most people know you. You are not the inventor of the Enneagram. It was invented a long time ago, but you are truly the thought leader today for helping people understand what the Enneagram is and how to apply it to our lives to really make our lives better to improve our story. Um, You're a best-selling author. You are a psychotherapist. You're, I've mentioned, an Enneagram teacher. You're also an Episcopal priest. I think that's yeah. fascinating. And host of the wildly popular podcast, Typology, which at last count, I think, has 17 million downloads. And for those of you who don't know how podcasts are measured, let me just tell you, that's huge. That's a very popular podcast. I've listened to a couple of them myself. Uh, well worth tuning into. Um, I read, Ian, let me tell you how I discovered you. I am working with Bob Goff. He's trying to help me, you know, discover my purpose and dream big. And I've attended a couple of his workshops, which, you know, Bob Goff, um, Mm -hmm. right there, that is life-changing. And he said, you know, in the process of this, Stephanie, you really need to understand the Enneagram. You need to understand the Enneagram in terms of speaking to people, in terms of your family, in terms of yourself. And so I went out and I got your book on Kindle, so I can't show it to you, um, The Road Back to You. And I read the entire book. And when I was done, I started over at page one again. And I read Mm. it twice. The reason is because it is so rich and so full of great information. You cannot possibly absorb it all in one sitting. And then, of course, I went to ianmorgancron.com, do your Enneagram assessment if you haven't already done it. And not just the quick little five-minute free one that you find on the web, because I did that and it said something completely vague. I did the assessment that Ian recommends and um, got a 27-page document, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm 58 years old. Why did I not do this when I was 28 at any rate? So welcome to the podcast. I don't want to do all the talking. I am so thankful that you're here to enlighten us. Um, You know, for the people who really aren't familiar with the Enneagram or haven't taken the assessment or don't really understand what it is, could you give us an overview of what it is and what the nine Enneagram types are? Sure. Well, the the Enneagram is an ancient uh, personality typing system. It teaches that there are nine basic personality styles in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope, to protect ourselves, and to navigate the new world of relationships. What's really important to know is that each type has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type predictably and habitually acts, thinks, and feels from a moment-to-moment basis every day. Um, 
Now, the nine types, I will run through them so quickly and not do one of them justice. You know, I could write 100 pages on each. So let me uh, just describe to you the unconscious motivation of each, because that's what helps people ultimately determine their type. Okay. Okay. So ones are called the improvers. They used to be called the perfectionists, but, uh, you know, the perfectionist got up in my grill and said, why is our signifier the only one that sounds negative? Right. So I landed on the improvers and I think it's, uh, you know, much, much better. So the improvers, conscientious, uh, analytical, very detail oriented, um, people who are actually morally heroic when they're in their healthiest expression of themselves. These are people whose unconscious motivation is a need to be good. They really want to be good. And their strategy for attaining goodness is perfecting themselves, others, and the world, while also avoiding fault and blame at all costs. Mm. Uh, Twos are called the givers or the helpers, warm, supportive, generous, uh, self-sacrificing. Um, these people's unconscious motivation, it's so simple, is a need to be liked. They really, now all of us want to be liked, but twos really want to be liked and appreciated, okay? So their they're way to attain appreciation is by meeting the needs of others while disavowing their own personal needs okay mm -hmm. threes are called the performers um driven ambitious goal crushers their unconscious motivation is the need to be successful to appear successful and to avoid failure at all costs fours are the unicorns of the enneagram we think there are fewer fours in the population than any other type these are people who believe that they're missing something uh, important in their essential makeup that everybody else seems to have. Um, they can be melancholy. Uh, they are oftentimes artists and creatives. And their way of trying to find belonging and wholeness in the world is by being special and unique. Mm. Uh, fives are called the individualists, uh, uh, typically introverted, the most analytical number on the Enneagram. In, at times, emotionally distant uh, and uh, highly observant. Their unconscious motivation is a need to conserve energy and uh, to be self-sufficient and to aggregate as much knowledge and information as they possibly can in order to fend off feeling, feelings of inadequacy and ineptitude. Sixes. We think there are more sixes than any other uh, type uh, in, the, in the world. Um, these are people who uh, have an unconscious need to feel safe, secure, and supported in what feels to them like a very chaotic and unpredictable world. So these are your worst case scenario thinkers, right? They're always preparing for what could go wrong in order to feel safe in the world. Sevens, they're the joy bombs of the Enneagram. They're called the enthusiasts. Bob Goff, Bob Goff is the, oh my gosh, the quintessential seven on the Enneagram. I have a story about Bob. I can tell that later if you'd like me to. I but, love those. Yeah, well, Bob, well, I should say sevens, um, they are adventurous, fun, high energy, optimistic to a fault, 
Um, they are people who, when they're not very healthy, have a need to um, avoid, how do I say this, to avoid feelings of pain and distress, right? And so their strategy for that is by living in the future and by really um, having this almost over positivity, you know, uh, about things. Uh, Eights are called the challengers, you know, aggressive, commanding, notoriously blunt. Uh, These are people whose unconscious motivation is a need to assert strength and power over the environment and other people in order to hide or mask tenderness, vulnerability, and weakness. So that's a very fast flyby, but that's about as quick as I can do it. Well, nine. Oh my gosh, nines. And you know what? This is the worst thing to do to nines is I forgot. (laughs) I can count Ian. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you. It's, it's, uh, you know, maybe it's a little early in the morning for me, but um, nines are called the peacemakers. My wife is a nine. I have a daughter who's a nine. They're called the sweethearts of the Enneagram. Their unconscious motivation is a need to keep connection with other people to maintain inner and outer peace. And one of the ways they do it is by avoiding conflict at all costs. Mm -hmm. So, so as you said, that's a quick flyover. And I neglected to mention, I have read the road back to you twice, but you are just now, you have just now come out with your new book, which is the story of you. And so I still think we all need to get the road back to you, but I'm getting the series, the story of you. An Enneagram journey to becoming your true self. Mm. And, you know, I don't think it's too late. If you're, I'm retirement age, it's not too late. I told my husband after reading your first book, or the first book to me, I said, okay, everyone in the family, we're all taking this Enneagram assessment and we are all reading the book. And this is going to really, um, really be great. And my husband's 66 and he said, why would I do that at this point in my life? And I said, so we can all have more compassion, not just for other people, but for ourselves. And you talk what interested me so much in, in as you explained the Enneagram was our first tendency when we find out our type, you know, I don't want to tell anyone my type is to think, oh, that's bad. But you point out, no, there are healthy versions of each type and there are unhealthy versions. And it's not as if we could go back and forth between those two ends of the spectrum in a single day, you know, just mm-hmm. be more self-aware. So again, I don't want to be doing the talking here because you're the expert, but what do you say to someone who says, why do I need to take this? Isn't this just a regular personality assessment? Uh, no, it's not a regular person. You know, I've used all of these assessments, right? I've used Colby, I've used Hogan, I've used Myers-Briggs, I've used StrengthsFinder, you know, DISC, you name it. I, I've, I'm aware of it. What actually distinguishes the Enneagram from other typologies is that it reveals that what's best about you is what's worst about you and that what's worst about you is what's best about you, right? And it also... Uh, reveals that the human personality does operate on a continuum between healthy and unhealthy. So in some ways, the types I just described, I described what was good about them, you know, but I also said, hey, look, here's what's not so great about them. Here's how their personality actually can work against them, right? And so uh, 
those two features, the Enneagram, I appreciate really deeply. I think they're fantastic. Um, and it's also so accessible and so actionable. You learn so quickly. You don't have to decipher it, right? So I think the Enneagram for me wins the day. Yep. I, I you know, my generation, you know, when I was in the corporate world 30 years ago, we all took Myers-Briggs. We all took Myers-Briggs, not that there's anything wrong with it, but we didn't do anything with it once we knew mm-hmm. our types. All we did was mm-hmm. compare ourselves to each other. And really what we all wanted to be was the closest as possible to the boss, which that's silly. It's So I even read in your book that there are some companies who actually have, everyone has their Enneagram number on their door. Yes. You know, mo- most, of my, most of my work is in the corporate sphere, right? Uh, training CEOs, management teams, different divisions of companies uh, about the Enneagram. And, you know, uh, again, it's so actionable. I did work with a company that you just mentioned, a big company. And I went there one day and after doing a workshop, maybe six months later, and I was walking down the hallway looking for the HR person's office. And I couldn't find it because all the numbers on the doors uh, didn't make any sense. And when she found me, she said, oh, those aren't sweet numbers. Those are their Enneagram numbers. And so they had really made this thing really? operational and it was fantastic. And it had really revolutionized uh, their whole culture. Isn't that interesting? So you're talking about, um, you're talking about using the, any, it's actionable in the workplace, but um, how about in relationships? Like how, well, how have you seen this help relationships? Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, there's a, a study that was done by Cornell. And one of the things it said is that the key predictor of success among leaders is uh, self-awareness. And I would say that the key predictor of success in your relationship with your husband or your wife or your partner or your daughters and your sons and your friends, right, is self-awareness. And that's really the gift of the Enneagram, right? It's learning and knowing who you are, how you operate in the world, and self-awareness, how that affects other people, you know, how your way of showing up for life affects other people. And also, it's about knowing how other people see the world differently than you do, so that you might have more compassion, more empathy, and more wisdom when you relate to them. It's... Countless times I've had people say to me, the Enneagram saved my marriage. The Enneagram restored a relationship with an estranged child. The Enneagram saved my job. You know what I mean? And so it's it's really an endless blessing for people. When you talk about how, you know, just knowing your, okay, knowing your Enneagram type, I just got this 27-page report, as I mentioned. Well, what is your type anyway? Oh, gosh. Well, so I read... now, this is my story with Bob Goff. I, I read your book and I hadn't taken the assessment yet. And as you read it, you're like, each type you read about, you're like, oh, is that me? Oh, is that mm-hmm. me? Oh, is that me? So can I, I guess your, your t- Can I guess your type? I'm sorry to interrupt, but can I guess your type? Isn't that against Enneagram edit- etiquette? It but is, think- but we're on the show here. Okay. So you, okay. Um, everyone else in my life was able to guess my type. Um, and I took your, I took the assessment and, uh, Yes, they were all exactly right. So you can guess. I'm going to guess you're a one. Oh, 
Okay. What did you think you were? What does your test come out as? Well, I thought I was an eight trying to be a two. So that would make me a three. I'm a three. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm apparently a lot of a three. So when I first saw that, I thought, oh, ick. Oh, ick. You know, this person who's trying to be. But when I read the healthy version of that, I was, okay, that gave me something to hold on to. That's what to aspire to. And when I read the unhealthy version, I was like, okay, there I was in my 20s. Yes, I recognize that. And on some, you know, sometimes a Wednesday, I'm like that. I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's the self-awareness and how you might be impacting other people, which naturally really makes me want my sons in their 20s to do it, um, as well as my future daughter-in-law and mm-hmm. for all of us to have this understanding. I, it's probably not a surprise when I announced at Thanksgiving to the family, the future daughter-in-law too, that we were all going to be taking this assessment. I was excited and so was the daughter-in-law. And the three guys were like, we don't want to do that. Right, Are, right. Is there more of a willingness to do this uh, among women than men? Or do you see a more, it also seems to be like every, I'm going to say young person, people in their 30s and 40s come out and say what their Enneagram, it's a new language. It's yeah. common. Um, I've, I've heard pastors, our pastor said last week what he was. And I was so glad I'd read your book because I knew what he was talking about. Mm. I think this is becoming such a common language. As Bob said to me, you really need to understand this. Whether you do it or not, you need to understand this because this is, um, if someone identifies themselves to you by their type, you know, they want to be understood, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. we want to understand each other. We want to love each other. We want to be accepting. Um, So, I don't. So my question was: Do you see a trend of enneagram acceptance among a particular age group, a gender? I don't want to stereotype or make uh, you know silly generalizations. Most of my audience is women, and uh, I think that women are again careful, Ian, but uh, very very concerned with. Uh, relationships, wanting to improve relationships, mm-hmm. wanting to connect. You know, oftentimes uh, men, for whatever reason, just aren't as concerned. Um, however, I meet tons of men who, you know, obviously who are very concerned with it of all types. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, again, I'm a little hesitant about these kind of gender stereotypes, but. Uh, it is my observation that oftentimes uh, women are, are really motivated and not afraid of self-knowledge. I think some men are like, I don't really want to know. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just really mm-hmm. don't want to know. You talk a lot about a story. Okay. So we're all living in a story. You talk about, I loved your story about Don Miller, how he made his changes because he saw himself in a different story. He wanted to be in a different story. And so could you talk a little bit about what do you talk about when you talk about story? And specifically, do you think everyone needs to rewrite their story? And if so, how do we know if we need to rewrite our story? Yes. Well, and thank you. That's the whole subject of my new book, The Story of You. You know, uh, I, I think all of us, every human being, craps a story in childhood to help them make sense of the world, um, to what they're experiencing, what they're learning, um, and to craft a story that um, 
helps them survive, really. I mean, it's like it's impossible not to create a narrative. You know from experience that we, we think of our lives narratively, right? We're, we're, we talk about, oh, a new chapter in life, you know, or turning the page or, oh, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? We yeah. ask people all the time, what's your story? Right. Yeah. So we frame our life out in the, in the, in this idea of story. Now, the problem is what happens when we, uh, after we adopt a story in childhood and we dr- unconsciously drag it into adulthood, because the story that you craft as a small person to make sense of the world. Um, yeah. It helps you survive as a little kid, but it will wreak havoc in your life when you become an adult. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So for, so for you as a three, you know, part of your story is I, I need to succeed. I need to appear successful. I can't afford to fail. Right now you picked up that story as a little person and it helped you survive and get your needs met way back then. But when you bring it up into adulthood, you remember your twenties, right? That story worked against you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it really does. I think, go against the story of grace. And I don't mean that necessarily in the religious sense of the word. I just think it prevents you from becoming your authentic self, right? And so in life, I think we, we tend to think, oh, I'm stuck in my story. I can't get out of this story. These things happen to me and I, there's no way out of it, you know? No, these are the cards I was dealt, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we can't change the facts, but we can change our relationship to the story. And we do have the power and the freedom to change our story and live in a more generative, life-giving, true um, narrative. We, we have the agency. We are the narrator of this story. And that new story, that new story changes everything. So we are the narrator of our story. I am holding on to that. That is so, so you're a young, say a young person of their twenties, they're feeling stuck, you know, they're graduating from college. Maybe things look differently than they did a couple of years ago before our whole, you know, experience, we won't talk about the whole COVID experience. What would be your advice to a young person who's feeling discouraged, the narrator of the story? Maybe they feel like, you know, they got dealt a bad hand in the past several years. What would you say to a young person, a young adult? Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that the book really tries to show people is that the Enneagram not only reveals your personality type, but it also reveals the story that you adopted as a little person and brought with you into adulthood, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how you can change that story, right? You know, for example, I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm the individualist, creative, imaginative, artistic, sometimes melancholy, sometimes self-absorbed, sometimes believing, you know, always comparing myself to other people and coming up short. That's a story I learned as a little person to make sense of the world. But it, it made a mess of my life as an adult. And I really did have to go through a journey of rewriting that story. And I would tell young people, you have an opportunity to do that a lot earlier than the rest of us did. You know what I mean? Like it took a long time for me to realize that I was banging my head against the wall of an old story that was negative, self-defeating, self-sabotaging. And so the, the Enneagram assists us in uh, rewriting the, the story of our lives. So it's not just, well, how do I change, you know, 
my life, I'm discouraged by the pandemic. Oh, no, no, it's much bigger than that. It's like, how do I change the overarching uh, premise of the story of my life and become a healthier person and a happier person? Well, in listening to you, I was thinking, and I don't want to overstate your experience because I just read your book and, and maybe you just gave me a glimpse of it. But what hit me, you have been so many things, you know, you're an author, a podcast host, a psychotherapist, an Episcopal priest. And you talk in your book about, you know, being in a church that wasn't a good fit and, and leaving that situation. And that is, these are these failure points that we could look at that as a failure. And as your reader, what I thought was, oh, my gosh, how many people were in that congregation? And how many people are reading his books and listening to his podcast? I mean, I would say maybe God had a plan for you that said, Ian, I have a plan for you to reach so many more people with a message that they need to hear that is authentically you and that we don't need to grasp and hold on and feel like something is a failure. It's a step in our journey. It's not the end of the road. And when you were at that point, how did you like go from that probably point of discouragement to launch what you're ultimately very successful at doing. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I had a clue. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was just like, I am miserable in this job. I got to go find something else. And I was a writer. I had already written, you know, two books and I was like, I got to go be a writer. Um, And, and then, you know, you're, you're right about this, that, you know, things happen to us in life, but what happens to us isn't nearly as important as what we think happened to us. Ooh. Okay. Right. So yeah. I, I could have read that um, uh, experience as being, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm a this, I'm a that. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. like, and I'm stuck with that, you know, scarlet letter on my chest forever. And it's like, that's a wrong perception of what happened. That's, that's, that's feeling like I'm stuck in that story. And I, I guess I just, by fortune, grace, uh, began to learn new things in my life that made me realize, oh, no, Mm-mm. that story can be leveraged to create a better one, right? And because so, it's something that inspired me and how many people have read that story and how many people can relate to that. We've yes. all had those. However, I, I so wish I had known the Enneagram back in those days, you know, and yeah. that I had really begun to do my work of rewriting the story of my life into one. Because actually, one of the things that sabotaged me in that job was the feeling that there was something essential missing in my makeup that, that I had to compensate for by being special and unique. That's the old story of the Enneagram 4 that needs to be changed so I could become a really healthy person in a much better story. Mm. Rewriting your story. I'm holding on to that. Rewriting your story. I was retired. I, I had a successful career and I retired and, you know, 55, I guess, and thought that was done until I met Bob Goff. And what's interesting, you talk about threes, you know, you feel like you have to be successful. And so I had a few years of just not being anything but me. And how eye-opening that was to realize that, wait a minute, that's 
why do you have to be a something? But the healthy three, and this is, I'm really want to, you, you talk about doing the work of rewriting your story. And I think that's the important thing. We can all read a book. We can all take an assessment, but the, that's just the first step. And it's doing the work of rewriting our story. And, and one of the healthy three traits was helping other people be successful. So mm-hmm. can you take that same drive? And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to, you know, Pivotal People podcast. I have a book. It's about inspiring other people to say, just like I'm inspired by your story, inspiring other people to follow their dreams or to ask the question, what is it you love to do? You're not a failure in that job. You are a successful writer waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you find, how do you rewrite your story? So um, I am inspired and motivated and I um, am looking forward to reading the story of you. And more importantly, though, there are folks, I'll tell you, my, my sons don't like to read books. And so I turn them on to your podcast. And in your podcast, you had a couple of different approaches. One was a narrative where you really went into um, your topic in detail, which is super helpful. And then others are interviews with people, which is also super helpful. And I want to say you have a few hundred episodes. Is it over, over 250 You've been oh, doing Lord, this really? podcast for a while. <laughs> oh no, it's a lot. So, so for so for people who are saying maybe I'm not a book reader yet, you have and plus you also have these tools on your website. You have online courses, mm-hmm. so you really have something for what I consider every learning style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a, a wonderful video course called Discovering You, which is eight hours of me going through each of the Enneagram types talking about what they're like and the work they can do on themselves to Mm -hmm. uh, become their best expression of of who they are. And that's a great place to start for for people. And obviously the road back to you or the assessment, you know, so there is a lot of different ways and obviously typology of the podcast for people to start to plug in and learn about themselves and other people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I am so pleased you agreed to come on the podcast and I'm pleased that I've discovered you and the Enneagram and um, I look forward to doing the work and helping my family do the work. But um, thank you so much for joining us and everyone remember it's the story of you and I'm sure it's going to be another runaway bestseller just like the road back to you was. So man I sure hope so. I, I am so excited about really helping people discover a better story for their life because this really there's a wonderful quote by Dan McAdams. He's a psychologist at Northwestern. He just says it beautifully. He says, all transformation is story transformation. So we have to change the story of our lives. If we want to change our predictable, unhealthy patterns of living and approaching life and seeing life, and if I can help a couple of people do that, I'll, I'll be able to go to bed at night feeling pretty good about myself. Well, I think you've already helped more than a couple of people, but I want to thank you for continuing to do the work and continuing to write the books and put the information out to help a lot of people. And we're looking forward to letting more people know about what they can find at inmorgancron.com as well as um, bookstores everywhere. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, good luck to you in the book launch. And I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Take care. 
Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you're inspired. Follow our podcast to be notified of new episodes each week. Check out stephanienelson.com to download a free chapter of my new book, Reimagine. Now go be the pivotal person that you are.